My guest today is UCI Emeritus Professor John Boyd, which means he's a retired professor living the good life in Laguna Beach. His specialty is mathematical anthropology. We have to hear a lot more about that. He received his undergrad, grad, and Ph.D. from the University of Michigan, concluding his studies there in 1963. As he tells it, in 1965, he was hired on the phone at Joe's Bar in Ann Arbor to come to UCI. Then, quote-unquote, more stuff happened. And that's exactly what we're going to explore today, UCI in the beginning and John Boyd. Hello, John. Welcome. Glad to be here. Super. How are you today? Well, I'm pretty good. Good. Excellent. Well, why don't we start at the top of how you got into anthropology? Well, I started in high school. I read Margaret Mead, Coming of Age in Samoa, other books. I used to hang around the library and got interested in it. Yeah. What was it about that book that intrigued you? Well, this was in the middle 50s in middle America, and uh, the sexual revolution hadn't happened yet, but it was boiling. Mm. So this was a way of finding out, well, gee, there are other ways to believe and to act. That's why I got interested in it. Very good. Interesting. How about mathematical anthropology? When did that start to percolate? Well, I always had a background in uh, math and science. My brother and my uncle were engineers, and I was kind of destined to become an engineer. So I, I had interest in science. I would read the Scientific American from the age of 11 onward. So I was kind of a science guy. Actually, my high school teachers thought it was a big disappointment when I decided to go into anthropology. Oh. Yeah, my physics teacher just shook his head and said, you're wasting your mind. Things professors will say at times. (laughs) So you graduated from the University of Michigan, and then you got a phone call, or how, how did the UCI connection come together? Well, I was still at Michigan, and I hadn't finished my thesis yet. They called up work at the Institute for uh, Mental Health Research Friday afternoon, and there was a time difference, and uh, I was already uh, having a drink with friends. So they called the bar, and I had the interview on the phone, yes. Wow. Literally, was it one phone call? or? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. What happened then? You came out for an interview, or, or no. <laughs> it was just a phone call? I'm sorry. It was just a phone call. <laughs> Things well, were a lot different in those days, weren't they? Yes. It was partly. It was the old boy network. A friend of a friend uh, recommended me. Yeah, it just happened. It just happened. Things yeah. happened. Had you heard of Irvine before? Did, no, but it was 1965. It was 18 years after the baby boom. They were building colleges all over the country, in California in particular, and they were desperate for teachers. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I guess you thought it was a great opportunity. Were you confident it was a great opportunity or or were you like, well, I'm going to go see what it's all about and hopefully it'll work out? The latter. Actually, uh, in those days, it was considered that you would jump from job to job, always ask for a promotion or or an increase. And it was a very mobile profession at that time. But uh, no, once I got here, I just stayed here. Uh Have you been in University Hills? Well, I guess you're not there anymore, but were you ever in University Hills? No, I I was here before it was built. And Uh uh, it would have been a good idea to move here, but by the time it was built, we were ensconced in Laguna and had friends there. And mm-hmm. uh, sounds like the timing was perfect. Yeah, I mean, we lived two blocks away from the tennis courts, and I walked there and 
play Great. tennis. And what about, were you literally teaching the first class? Were you here at the very beginning? Yes, I was here at the very beginning of class. Now, there were a few uh, professors that were hired the year before to hire the other professors. But basically, uh, yeah, I was here the first year of class. Gotcha. And where were classes taught? Well, we were, social science shared what is now Humanities Hall. It was a joint building. And uh, for years afterwards, when we did get a social science building, they took off the, the social science sign from Humanities Hall, but you could see the shadow against the wall. <laughs> right, The right. stain of social science. How big was the department? About 15 people in uh, all departments. We didn't have departments at all. And partly it was a necessity because there were so few people, and partly because that was the vision that Jim March had, namely interdisciplinary uh, mathematical models, so he didn't want department. I didn't have much respect for departments either when I came here. I graduated from an interdisciplinary uh, program at Michigan. The undergraduate was anthropology, yes, but then after that, I went into heavily math and science and systems theory. And those early years, what was it like? Was it very, um, you know, we were concentrating on our disciplines, you were concentrating on your students, or, you know, was there a lot of energy with, you know, what was literally being built from the ground up at those days? Can you give us some impressions? There was a lot of chaos. We had school was so small, we had a lot of parties. On the, on the other hand, I hadn't finished my thesis, and I hadn't passed my German exam either. So I did concentrate on uh, studying hard for that, possibly neglecting my teaching, but I knew where my bread was buttered. Uh-huh. There was another fellow here named Carl Radoff, a very smart guy in economics. He worked real hard on teaching, but he, like me, he didn't have his thesis done. And at the end of 18 months, they thanked him for his teaching and for his computerized Econ 101, and they fired him. So wow. uh, that's one thing I did right, is to concentrate on getting my thesis done. Mm. Did you realize it's like, no, I hear them saying that this is important, I got to get this done? And I, I don't know. There were several people like him. Uh, it's easy to put things off when you're uh, busy in a new right. place and lots of things are happening. You knew it was important and you made it a priority. Yeah. Can you believe, as you look around now, I actually grew up in Orange, and I remember being told, oh, you know, coming down Jamboree, and it was cows and uh, farmhouses and maybe one gas station. And over that hill, they're building a new UC school. It was difficult to find it if you only, you know, were traveling down Jamboree. Can you believe where it's grown to? Oh, it's amazing. Yeah, the first year, it rained a lot. And uh, there was, wasn't any grass or trees planted, and the whole place was a sea of mud. There were trees uh, just laid out, huge rows ready to be planted. It looked like a nursery. But, uh, yeah, it was uh, mud, rain, lots of fog. I thought, well, this is the way California is. <laughs> Excuse me just for a moment, John. If you're joining us late, you're listening to UCI Conversations. My guest today is John Boyd, retired UCI mathematical anthropology professor. John was here at UCI during the very early days when the original Planet of the Apes film was filmed here. Led Zeppelin rocked the gym and there was a lot of dirt. Is that accurate, John? I guess we already just touched on 
the dirt. Oh, yeah, that, that's accurate. Uh, it was fun uh, watching the Planet of the Apes being uh, filmed. The Social Science Towers were uh, renamed for the movie the Ape Training Center. <laughs> we thought that was pretty funny. When they took breaks, the apes would take a smoke. That was funny, too. Yeah. Do you recall Led Zeppelin playing? No. I'm still looking for somebody who remembers that concert. Now, you worked with... Chancellor Aldrich, correct? Was he the leader back in those days? Yes, he was the first chancellor, and he was in agriculture from Riverside. And so he took a lot of care about planting the trees that I mentioned being all around. Part of the beauty of the campus we owe to him. He wasn't a fan of me. There were student protests at that time, and uh, I was with them. He was heard criticizing some of the uh, junior faculty hanging out with the students in the protests. That brings us to today, now when freedom of speech on campus is a hot topic. There's a lot of controversy about that. Have you been following that, John? Do you have an opinion about that? Oh, yes. Uh, I I remember, uh, maybe it was in the 70s, when I first heard the concept of political correctness and of certain words that were not to be said in class. I just couldn't believe it. I thought we just went through the free speech movement. I mean, this wasn't Berkeley, but still, you know, we Mm -hmm. students and faculty all over the country supported that movement. And then it was just being uh, torn down by these political correctness people. Mm. And in fact, in a sense, we were on a mission to try to make anthropology and other uh, parts of social science a real science and to apply math and uh, science. And, but it kind of lost out in anthropology. It wasn't just our department. It was uh, countrywide in anthropology. And they were in the forefront of this political correctness. It can be argued. In fact, there, there's been several columns, one in science recently in the uh, Scientific American, that this sort of thinking of political correctness and postmodernism is to blame for uh, Trump's election. I know that's quite a leap, but the idea is that postmodernism and the thinking that followed it, science is not really respected. Uh, Truth is considered naive, and everything is political. You say something if it's politically correct, not if you think it's correct, correct. So I have very strong opinions about that, yes. Mm. John, in terms of your career, and I see there's pages of things that you've published and been involved with, are there any particular studies or things that you got involved with that you're particularly proud of, that you they were high points of your career? Well, you know, one of the highlights of my career is this uh, book chapter that I just finished this year. I wrote it with Bill Batchelder, who's still teaching at UCI. He also was one of the early people, came a few years after I did. And it was a chapter for the New Handbook of Mathematical Psychology. The title of the chapter is Networks. The reason I agreed to write the chapter, honestly, I was I was not their first choice. But my mentor at Michigan, uh, Anatole Rappaport, wrote a chapter called Social Network for the first handbook of mathematical psychology. And so when they asked me to do it, I just couldn't refuse. Good for you. Can you talk a little bit more about that in- psychological networks? What's your important point from your work? Well, we tried to apply uh, some modern techniques of linear algebra and um, other types of mathematics, such as probability theory. We applied it to four examples of networks. Uh, One was worldwide computer networks. Another one was the network of dolphins, and the relationship is who swims together. And then another one was karate students. They asked, who were your friends? And then finally, there was a network of diseases, 
And the relationship is mutations. If you can mutate from one disease to another, that's a link between these diseases. So we looked at things like the eigenvalues of the uh, adjacency network partner. Bill Batchelder, he wrote the other part of the chapter, which was about probability models. I don't know. I thought we didn't summarize the field, but I I thought we uh, had a good take on it. It was supposed to appeal to um, math majors, maybe seniors in college, or graduate students in, uh, in the social sciences. You know, it seems like, John, in our society, that the computer age and the digital age, and that things in terms of networks are becoming so fragmented. You know, there doesn't seem to, I don't know if there's a better word than fragmented. Do you have a, any sense of being an anthropologist about that? <clears throat> yes, there Fragmented is a word certainly in our intellectual spheres. Uh, everyone has their own silos. And so it's nice having lots of choices in radio stations you can listen to. But on, on the other hand, you can listen to what you want to hear, which mm. isn't always good. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the recent election, Facebook was hacked. And who, who knew it was so fragile that if you hired a few thousand people in, in uh, Russia that you could uh, make up stories enough to uh, sway the election? We don't know for sure that's what happened. But it does suggest that these massive networks that we have today were so interconnected in lots of ways, perhaps they're susceptible to hacking and sabotage. Mm. John, I know you're still connected with the campus. Do you have much contact with Dean Bill Maurer working with the department? No. My contact is with the Mathematical Behavioral Science Institute. I come in whenever they have uh, talks, and it's a joy to hear these uh, speakers carry on in what was my idea of how social science should be advanced. And uh, these young people that are giving these talks, many of them are really brilliant and interesting. That's what I get a kick out of. Mm. Can you expound on new areas that they're pushing into? Is it like that? Or what cutting edge? Is cutting edge a, a, a term we can look at? Or what's rocking your boat? What it, What's interested you lately that you've seen? Well, the most exciting thing really has nothing to do with uh, social science. The uh, former head of the IMBS, uh, Don Sari. And IMBS is what? Uh, Institute for Mathematical Behavioral Sciences. Okay. And... Uh, He, long story short, has uh, disproven the existence of dark matter. Now, you might ask, well, how could a mathematician who's not a physicist uh, do something like that? In fact, that's what the physicists do say. But the existence of dark matter is is dependent on a, a particular mathematical approximation of uh, the end-body problem, uh, uh, stars circling in a galaxy. And uh, they circle in such a way, people say, oh, there must be missing matter b- back there. And Don Sari says, well, they just used the wrong approximation. Really, there's no mystery. Of course, they just gave away three uh, Nobel Prizes for the discovery of dark matter. Mm-hmm. So it wouldn't be exciting if they had to... Uh, Take them back. <laughs> <laughs> that, the, there would be some excited people, I can tell you that. Very interesting. And when you say dark matter, we're talking about black holes, correct? No, black holes, uh, oh. they, they are well established. Dark oh. matter is invisible matter in between the stars and the galaxy that gives them more mass than we thought they had. Wow. 
That is interesting. They keep trying to detect it, and every experiment fails, and they say, oh, darn, we just have to ask for more money to have another experiment. (laughs) Wow. In looking back at your life, John, and your career, your professional career, do you have any words of wisdom for students today at UCI? Yes. I wished I had worked harder. I was uh, fooling around, uh, partying a little too much. It has its place, of course, but uh, I spent too much time on it. Also, I wished I had... That was one of the weaknesses of the School of Social Science, is that we didn't have a lot of mentors. And uh, since I didn't come from an academic family, I didn't know what to do. You know, it was a lot of fumbling around trying to figure out what to do. And so my advice would be to uh, find some mentors and listen to them. How about the future, John? Any plans in particular? Well, I plan to have a hip replacement. And then as soon as that's over, uh, I get back to tennis. I played today. I'm going to play right up to the operation, apparently. I just kind of stay in one place and uh, hit the ball from there. (laughs) I used to depend on my running. I'm working on several other papers. Now, do you come up with those papers, or do people ask you, or is it a little bit of both? A little bit of both. Another thing I do is I come in Friday for uh, drinks with friends. I mean, half the people don't. They drink ginger ale or something, but it's it's not a, a drunken uh-huh. drinking fest. Do you meet here at the pub or? Uh, at the island. Oh, okay. Is that like off Bison there? Yes. Or? Oh, okay. So we throw around some ideas during those sessions, and mm-hmm. I've worked on a couple papers that originated from those talks. Are there any leaders in mathematical anthropology or anthropology, you know, today, who are the caliber of a Margaret Mead that has drawn your attention? Well, no, I don't think so. But on the other hand, I haven't really kept track of the field. Uh I mainly read mathematical social science journals, not anthropology journals, mainly because there's no math or models in anthropology in the anthropology journals. If you look at the American anthropologists, there are no equations, there are no models, there are hardly any numbers except for page numbers. Mm. I don't think anthropology is really um, has much of a future. Mm. Interesting. Now, was Margaret Mead looking at that back in the day, or was that just so... No, 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 she wasn't a a mathematician, but Mm. she was uh, looking at new things and and trying to describe things objectively. And uh, she was in the uh, descriptive phase Mm -hmm. of science, Mm -hmm. like biologists, when they look at different organisms and say, oh, isn't this interesting? Isn't that interesting? And they don't have a a theory or certainly not a mathematical model to describe it. Okay. Hey, John, we have a few more minutes left in our interview. Can you talk about Another one of your early influences? Yes. Uh, this was also in high school. I read a philosopher by the name of Lin Yu Tang. I guess you would call him a pop philosopher, but he wrote books um, like The Importance of Living. That was the first one I, I looked at. And then another one, The Philosophy of India and China. And uh, I became very interested in Chinese philosophy uh, and Indian ph- philosophy. Uh, partly, it was a reaction to uh, my own uh, Christian upbringing. My, my father was a minister, and uh, my mother was quite religious. And uh, but I, I wasn't a. Um, I was growing away from religion at that time. This, of course, is part of being an, an anthropologist, uh, learning about other cultures. Mm-hmm. I also wanted to learn about um, other religions. So uh, I was quite uh, convinced that uh, one should be a pagan and, uh, you know, take 
take my uh, wisdom from uh, where I could find it. But later I was amused to learn that uh, he wrote a book uh, uh, from from pagan to Christian. Mm. He uh, he uh, he grew away from the uh, philosophy that I had adopted uh, the rest of my for the rest of my life, and had gone back to uh, the philosophy of his father. His father was a missionary in China, like many of. My mentors, I uh, grew away from them or outgrew them. Mm-hmm. You know, earlier in the interview, John, you talked about early demonstrations on campus and so forth. And with the Ken Burns special on Vietnam that is being broadcast right now, can you talk a little bit about that? Was there Were there demonstrations at UCI? Mm. Yes. Uh, these were uh, anti-Vietnam War um, demonstrations, and uh, they weren't... Um, too, there weren't too many people, and uh, this was Orange County in in the uh, mm-hmm. in the '60s, and they weren't at at all violent. But still, Chancellor Aldrich didn't like the uh, peaceful image of UCI being being interrupted. In fact, uh, at the time, uh, some of the locals used to say UCI stood for Young Communist Institution. <laughs> I think I remember that. Right. And so how long did that go on? Was that for several years on campus with the um, Vietnam War? Do you, do you recall? Was it? No, no, it was quite brief. I came from the University of Michigan, and uh, one of my professors uh, claimed they were going to have a um, demonstration. They were going to have a strike above Vietnam. And the uh, the legislatures uh, uh, threatened to fire all professors that uh, didn't show up to work. And uh, so that put the fear of God in them. And uh, one of my professors actually uh, came up with the idea of a teach-in. And uh, at least uh, we at Michigan claim that we invented the teach-in. Hmm. And so what happened? Well, they, they, they had a teach-in. They had classes uh, after hours. Uh, they lectured about the history of Vietnam and the history of the war and uh, peace and all kinds of professors uh, contributed. Mm-hmm. Have you been watching the Ken Burns special? No, I haven't. Mm-hmm. It's it's all rather too painful to me, and uh, I kind of don't want to be reminded of it. I'm sure it's very good. All of Ken Burns' uh, documentaries are just wonderful, but, yeah. uh, you know, uh, I just couldn't... Um, bring myself to open old wounds. I understand. Well, John, our time is up now, and thank you very much for being with us. We really appreciate the time you spent. Thank you for all that you contributed to UCI. All our best with your upcoming surgery, and we look forward to seeing you on campus in the future. Well, thank you very much. Um, I love UCI, and uh, it's uh, it's really been my life for the last... Uh, Well, since 1965.